I've just returned to my home in Michigan after spending a couple of weeks at Texas A&M setting up for the surgical implantation of neuropixels probes in the prefrontal cortex of our rats. The trip was largely successful and we're almost ready to begin. I will continue to be a postdoc for another year and after that who knows. I hope to join the faculty somewhere and turn my attention to teaching. With any luck I will function in my current lab as a pioneer, setting the foundation for a new long-term phase of high-density neuronal recordings that will begin to unpack the cognitive dysfunctions which lead to aberrational fear memories and PTSD. The next generation of graduate students and postdoctoral researchers will take the project beyond where I start them, and it will be a fruitful endeavor. As for me, I'm inclined to retire from medical research. I want to focus on theory and teaching. If I become involved with future experimental research, I'd like it to be basic research aimed at understanding the mind. In the previous episode of this podcast, I shared the basics of the temporospatial theory of consciousness, TTC. I compared the ideas in TTC with my own theoretical framework, the Temporally Integrated Causality Landscape, or TICL. I know, it's alphabet soup. And today I plan to add yet another theory to the broth. This one is called the General Resonance Theory, GRT. I don't know if this is as good for you as it is for me, but I'm really beginning to get excited about how some of these models converge. When I wrote the paper on TICL, I focused on two opposing theories that were getting pretty much all of the attention of the field, global neuronal workspace and integrated information theory. Now I'm branching out to take a closer look at other ideas, and I'm discovering some important crossovers between my thoughts and some of these. To be sure, there is a recent proliferation of theories and acronyms to try to remember, but at the moment this feels dynamic and interesting to me. I'm taking a look at some of these theories in turn and seeing that many of them are surprisingly compatible, or nearly so, with the TICL. Does this mean that the TICL is redundant? No, not quite. The situation is more intriguing than that. The specific framing that I've adopted with the TICL adds a critical piece that these other theories seem to have missed. I told you that I'll be submitting a paper to Frontiers in Human Neuroscience by the end of August. As of this moment, I think I'll be coming at it from a totally different angle than I had planned. I want to explore how these other theories, including electromagnetic field theories, measure up to the TICL when their basic tenets are put into a common language and laid out in a common illustrative way. Here, I think the commonalities may begin to gain ground, and the eccentricities of our individual frameworks can be distinguished and discussed. The key insights are beginning to appear across many of our theories, and thus coming together into a skeletal stru structure. The next question will be to determine which of our many fleshes belong upon the bones, and which ideas deserve to be reconsidered. So let me get on to the discussion of general resonance theory. This is described in a recent paper called The Easy Part of the Hard Problem, A Resonance Theory of Consciousness by Tam Hunt and Jonathan Schooler. These guys are both topic editors for the special issue in Frontiers in Human Neuroscience, so they probably had something to do with my being invited to contribute. Well, let's take a look at their paper and see how it, well, resonates. See what I did there? Resonates. Yeah, I'm a fucking professional. Hunt and Schooler define resonance as broadly synonymous with synchrony or harmonization. As far as I'm concerned, this is very similar to the idea of integration as I use the term. They observed that neural synchrony in the gamma, beta, and theta ranges is a feature of consciousness. The authors begin from a panpsychist point of view, where consciousness at some level might be a feature of cells and even atoms. The question for such approaches is, how do they solve the combination problem? 
Who, how do all these little conscious entities in the brain combine to form the united conscious mind that you and I enjoy? Well, you might be enjoying it anyway. I'm still on the fence. They propose a solution to the combination problem in the form of shared resonance in speed and bandwidth of information exchange among different areas of the brain. Information exchange, huh? That sounds a lot like what I mean when I talk about causality. In the TICL, I talk about temporally integrated causality. They talk about synchronous high-speed flow of energy, or information. In general terms, we are onto the same thing. My theory is not based on panpsychism. So the correlation of high integration in time with consciousness, in my case, is about distinguishing conscious states and contents from non-conscious states and contents. This is a little different from the combination problem, but it's in the same ballpark. Both theoretical frameworks are trying to explain how disparate events in the brain become contents of a unified conscious mind. Hunt and Schooler write, quote, The type of interconnection and combination between resonating structures is key for consciousness to expand beyond the highly rudimentary type of consciousness that we expect to occur in an electron, atom, or molecule. The central thesis of our approach is this. Shared resonance among micro-conscious constituents allows for ma macro-conscious entities to arise because of a phase transition in the speed and the bandwidth of information exchange. We flesh out this idea, what we refer to as conjecture one in the rest of the paper. In human brains, for example, we've seen already that one candidate for the primary neural correlate of consciousness is some type of gamma synchrony but mammalian consciousness is generally correlated with a combination of lower harmonic frequencies as well as gamma. This shared resonance through specific neuronal electrochemical firing patterns creates an electromagnetic field that may itself be the seed of macro-conscious awareness. Looking only at gamma synchrony as an example for discussion, as the area of shared gamma synchrony moves around the brain, supported by other slower frequency waves, it absorbs new neurons into the same resonance frequency, and as it moves away from certain neurons, it allows them to return to their previous state of resonance corresponding to a more localized pattern. By, absor by absorbing new neurons into the moving semi-stable gamma wave pattern, this moving large-scale wave entrains those neurons to the same frequency, and thus allows information and processing power of the many micro-conscious entities constituted by those neuron clusters to become part of the macro-conscious entity and also to achieve a phase transition in the speed of information exchange by moving from primarily electrochemical information exchanges to electromagnetic field exchanges which are significantly faster. Through this entrainment, the smaller scale harmonics are entrained into the larger harmonic. The constituents' windows are all open to each other, and information flows more freely. The macro-consciousness is changing in each moment to exactly the degree that its constituent neurons and associated fields are changing in each moment." Unquote. Did you hear that? They said that absorbing new neurons into the moving semi-stable gamma wave pattern, this moving large-scale wave entrains those neurons to the same frequency, and thus allows information and processing power of the many micro-conscious entities constituted by those neuron clusters to become part of the macro-conscious entity. That semi-stable gamma wave pattern they are referring to is what I call, in the TICL, the system. They suggest a mechanism of rapid information exchange by means of electromagnetic fields. I never entertained such a mechanism for the system as I described it, but it could very well be involved. I don't believe in micro-conscious entities either, but I do propose subsystems which come to exist within the system and attribute the emergence of contents to them. 
The problem I have with the panpsychist perspective, even in IIT, is that contents must occur from some greater point of view. They can't exist in themselves. Likewise, the question of consciousness occurring in simple structures such as atoms and molecules is this. Conscious of what? Conscious of itself? I'm not buying. It seems to me that we are conscious of contents and not of ourselves. If I am the conscious mind as a whole, the whole unified composition of thoughts and perceptions and feelings going on right now, then I'm only aware of those thoughts and perceptions and feelings. I infer my existence because of those thoughts and perceptions. I think, therefore I am. Just as Descartes observed, if I should cease to think or feel or perceive anything, then I would cease to be. The thoughts and perceptions do not exist from their own point of view, they exist from mine. Whatever the dynamics of neural function that underlie those contents, whether thought of as information or energy or causality, they are occurring within a larger integrated structure. That is why the contents exist to me. If they were outside of me, I could not know them. Hunt and Schooler refer to three conjectures of their general resonance theory. Let's take a look at them. Quote, conjecture one, shared resonance is what leads to the combination of micro-conscious entities into macro-conscious entities. The shared resonance conjecture. Conjecture two, the boundaries of a macro-conscious entity depend on the velocity and frequency of the resonance chains connecting its constituents. The boundary conjecture. Conjecture three, any biological macro-conscious entity will have various levels subsidiary nested micro and macro-conscious entities, the nested consciousness conjecture, unquote. All right, so we have a shared resonance conjecture which says that shared resonance or synchrony among micro-conscious entities unifies them into macro-conscious entities. This talk about micro-conscious entities is only necessary if you start from the assumption of panpsychism, but I think this idea can be generalized for our purposes. Resonance among neuronal elements occurs in the network because each neuronal element influences the, influences the others with which it is integrated. At least that's the way I would talk about it. In fact, I think the resonance the authors have in mind is something a little different. It's more like being on the same vibration, moving together as a unit, perhaps by means of electromagnetic effects. In my framing, the higher the level of TIC, or integrated causality among neuronal elements in time, the more likely they are to form a subsystem and the more salient and meaningful the emergent content will be. TIC and shared resonance are closely related concepts, but not identical. So that's the first conjecture, shared resonance. The second conjecture is the boundary conjecture. It says that the boundaries of a macro-conscious entity are determined by the velocity and frequency of its constituent resonant parts. That is different wording, but essentially the same as the boundary of the system for the TICL. I hypothesize that the system is composed of all the neuronal elements in the thalamocortical system that together have a non-zero level of TIC. Temporally integrated causality is the amount of causality across an integrated system over the amount of time it takes to achieve it. So the faster the causality is spreading through the network, the higher the TIC. It seems obvious to me that the whole system will have a lower level of TIC than will many of its constituent parts. I'll give you an example of what I mean. Take the interstate highway system of the United States. Just for the sake of making the analogy work, imagine a kind of butterfly effect in which anything that a car does on the 40 heading east toward Flagstaff, Arizona, eventually has a small influence on a car driving north on 75 through central Ohio. 
the effect would be very small and it would take a long time for it to take place. By contrast, two cars traveling adjacent to each other on 75 can have very rapid and notable effects upon one another. One car slows down, the other has to change lanes, and so on. This analogy is highly imperfect, but I hope you get my point. The boundary around consciousness for my theory is the boundary around the system which has some level of temporally integrated causality across all of its elements over some period of time. The contents of consciousness come from the specific subsystems inside it, which have a higher level of TIC among themselves. As you can imagine, that's an awful lot of subsystems. There should be hundreds or even many thousands of sets of neurons that are exhibiting more causality over a shorter time frame than the whole system is. These subsystemic activities are nested within the activity of the system, not just in space, but also in time. It's a subset of neurons acting on a faster time scale. My theory is that this is what we are experiencing when we perceive conscious content. Conjecture 2 for Hunt and Schooler couples the boundary around consciousness to the speed and resonance among neuronal influences. I more or less agree. Conjecture 3, the nested consciousness conjecture, states that any macro-consciousness will have micro-consciousness entities nested within it. This framing is so close to mine, but I think it misses the mark. The author's commitment to panpsychism gets in the way. The TICL is an emergentist, materialist theory. To my thinking, there is only the macro-consciousness with its nested contents. The contents are nested in space and time within a single unified conscious mind. This occurs in accordance with subsystemic activities nested in space and time within the activity of the whole system. From the point of view of the system, the subsystems provide meaningful content. The content is meaningful in relativity to the system. Relativity, that's the key. Next, I'll share a substantial section from a later part of the paper by Hunt and Schooler, in which they compare their general resonance theory to IIT and global workspace theory. As I said earlier, I took the same approach when I introduced the TICL. I compared it to the same two major theories. Interestingly, I came to some of the same positions that I see here in Hunt and Schooler's conclusion. They write, quote, The present model's consideration of information processing and synchrony in drawing inferences about the nature of consciousness raises comparisons with both integrated information theory, IIT, and global workspace theory. We briefly address here some commonalities and differences between general resonance theory, GRT, integrated information theory, and global workspace theory. Hunt 2014 compares IIT to general resonance theory and suggests adding a time mechanism to resolve one of the more serious difficulties with IIT, the exclusion principle and exclusion mechanism. So we will not dwell on this here. The key difference between general resonance theory and IIT, in addition to a process time that is the focus of Hunt 2014, is the centrality of resonance to the integration or binding process in general resonance theory. Resonance is not a part of IIT. Similarly, IIT's exclusion mechanism renders all subsidiary conscious entities non-conscious and unified into a single conscious awareness. As discussed above, general resonance theory follows the principle that the many become one and are increased by one. There is no extinction of subsidiary conscious entities. Dehane's version of global workspace theory is similar in a number of ways to our general resonance theory, including the concepts of phase transitions, the importance of synchrony or resonance, 
accepting the reality of consciousness as a physical and evolutionarily useful phenomenon, viewing consciousness as a multi-layered affair, and accepting subjective reports as good data. A key difference between the two theories, however, is that global workspace theory is explicitly meant to explain human consciousness and the differences between dominant consciousness, which is what we humans enjoy as normal conscious awareness, and how it relates to subconscious and pre-conscious processes. We largely agree with global workspace theory insofar as wherever Dehane and his colleagues describe consciousness, we would describe this as dominant consciousness. This is the case because general resonance theory suggests that there are many levels of conscious awareness in humans and many other animals, and maybe even non-biological entities, but we as humans are only able to directly access dominant conscious consciousness, which is the top of the chain in the nested hierarchy that constitutes normal human consciousness. Nested conscious entities in general resonance theory are the subconscious and pre-conscious processes in global workspace theory from the perspective of the dominant consciousness, and each level of nested consciousness will have subsidiary conscious entities that are subconscious to it. So rather than viewing subconscious or pre-conscious entities as essentially zombie agents, we view these lower level entities as conscious for themselves, but generally in a far more rudimentary manner than dominant human consciousness. There are a number of other key differences between general resonance theory and global workspace theory, including one, General resonance theory is a general theory that is meant to apply to all potential types of consciousness in all physical structures, not just neuronal-based consciousness, or mammalian, or even vertebrate consciousness. 2. General resonance theory is panpsychist. Global workspace theory is a materialist because it suggests that consciousness emerges at some point of biological complexity and is not otherwise present. 3. General resonance theory has a quantification framework that allows the calculation of spatial and temporal boundaries and the capacity for phenomenal content in specific entities. 4. General resonance theory is a solution to the combination problem of consciousness and the hard problem more generally. Global workspace theory doesn't address these problems explicitly. Although our proposed theory offers a possible way of accounting for how micro-conscious entities can combine, to form macro-conscious entities, we acknowledge that even if resonance systems bind in the manner we are suggesting, it does not necessarily follow that all types of resonating structures are conscious. We would, of course, be wrong with, about our axioms and positive mechanisms for the combination of consciousness. Our suggested framework will need substantial empirical support before it can be considered a complete and viable theory. We argue in general for an approach that entertains without necessarily endorsing various approaches to the problems of consciousness." Unquote. After reading that, I have a few observations. First, I agree with the diagnosis of integrated information theory as being unfortunately misguided in the exclusion principle. I don't quite agree with the claim that resonance is not a part of IIT. This may be true or not, depending on exactly how resonant we expect things to be. Integrated information, or integrated causality, implies a degree of resonance in the sense that neuron A exhibits causal power on neuron B, which feeds back onto neuron A. This mechanism is at least similar to resonance, but it's not exactly the same thing, so I'll accept their point. They mean something more specific and specialized than integration. For example, the paper suggests that electromagnetism is the best candidate for achieving resonance in the brain. They talk about a phase shift from canonical electrochemical transmission to a much faster electromagnetic field-driven mode. 
I'll be paying attention to this hypothesis and I'll do some more reading on the topic, but at this moment I don't know how plausible or implausible it is. As for the distinctions between general resonance theory and global workspace, my intuitions are closer to those of global workspace. As Hunt and Schooler point out, their theory is panpsychist, whereas global workspace is emergentist. The focus for global workspace theory is to determine how subconscious processes become conscious percepts. That is the same framing I took with the TICL. In the end, I return to the concept of relativity. The reason I favor the idea that consciousness is an emergent property is that I see two separate things that need to coincide in order to form a conscious mind. There must be a large unifying system on one hand, and there must be differentiated subsystems within it on the other hand. Consciousness without content isn't consciousness, is it? When we enter non-conscious states like slow wave sleep and general anesthesia, we come back out of such states and it is as if we are newly born. The continuity has been broken and the intervening time is absent. We were, then we weren't, and now we are again. That is the definition of non-consciousness, non-being. There is nothing that it is like. Consider that that provisional definition of consciousness is there being something that it's like. Even that statement, which is imperfect, I realize, gives away the game. Being is the system, and like something is the content. What is it like to be a molecule or an atom of helium? Well, it isn't like anything. Even if they have the fundament of being, there lacks a distinction within it to be like something. Like what? Like itself? Nonsense. The most mysterious thing about being a conscious mind is identifying oneself. I don't know what I'm like. I only know the content with which I am presented. I am that which knows content. I know nothing of myself because I am not content to myself. I am not contained within myself. The contents of my mind are contained within me. What is it like to be me without content, without thought or sensation, without even the perception of time passing, without darkness or light or expectation or mood? It's exactly like not being. Mm -hmm.